0: Um wait so what were we just talking about pandemics politics and the political voice okay so let's go to the the new segment of the show which took us 19 minutes to get to roughly but the news the first news segment of the show is um what are we calling it again
1: <laughs> I said I don't think you can lose recording everything that comes out of our mouths and if nothing works then I think nothing... Richard
0: Nixon would disagree with you but gin and tonic that's catchy gin and tonic I do like that actually but but then we have to explain what that is and and does gin I don't drink gin and tonic so does gin bring us joy and tonic make us crazy is that is that the the idea there
1: <laughs> I, I wasn't but sure I... I just thought it was catchy but uh
0: gin and tonic peanut butter and jelly let's think of like You know, something and somethings. Oppenheim and Teller. No, that's the atomic bomb. They're all Jewish bombs. That was the line from the West Wing in that scene when Leo and the lawyer go down to Washington because they think Iran did this nuclear test in the uh, in the ocean on submarines. But actually, it turns out at the end it was Israel, but they think it was Iran. And so they they go down and threaten the Iranian ambassador. And the the Iranian ambassador says, uh, Leo says, well, you're afraid of a Jewish bomb. And the Iranian ambassador responds with Oppenheim, Teller, Einstein. They're all Jewish bombs. I just love that line. I'm Kenny Benjamin. I'm Joshua Beckett. And this is Locks and the Bagel. Blame it on the Jews. Blame it on the Jews. But speaking of Jews, no, let's get to that later. I do want to do this thing. Okay, so whatever it is, we'll come up with something later. But for yeah, now, I, the segment's called "What Makes Me Crazy, What Brings Me Joy." Woo! Well, you you know, here's the thing. We can we're gonna
1: come up with something catchy, and then you're gonna say, let's say it's called Gin and Tonic. Uh, it's time for the gin and tonic section of the show, in which we talk about what brings us joy and what brings us insanity, and what makes us crazy, what makes us insane. So you're still going to say it. Well, so you could come up with something catchy. You're still going to have to explain what it is every week.
0: Yes, that's actually true because the, it's a, it's what we call a tagline. It's the under it's the under of the over. And then I said something off camera to Joshua about him never getting excited. Why don't you ever seem to get excited? I know you get excited. You know what? I think this is
1: a pro- problem in my life. I think a lot yeah. of people have a difficult time. My sister once said, do you ever get really excited about anything? And this is, this is actually, <laughs> but you know what? But I do. I get really excited about small yeah. things, very mm-hmm. small things. And the bigger the thing is, the less you can tell how, that I'm excited about it or the less I actually get, am excited about it. And what, what do you think that is? I don't know. It's it's it goes it goes back to this. I don't know some weird level headed like you know. It's not that big of a deal. Maybe it's like an anti my dad thing. Like I don't want to boast. I don't want. I don't want to boast about
0: anything. I don't want to feel. I, I, I want to say two things about what you just said. One is before you said what you thought it might be I, in my head, I was about to say, but then I wanted you to come out well, with it first. I was about to say, I think this goes back to your father. I, mean, I think it might <laughs> Although, Yeah. I think it might. I think most things do, but I think this thing does in particular because your father was a huge man. And I don't mean huge physically. I mean, huge emotionally and intellectually and the way he sucked up the energy in a room and required and demanded the energy from everybody else. Mm-hmm. And so I think that your you, in some ways, even though you're 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 very successful and accomplished in so many ways, I don't think it's in your nature to make a big deal out of stuff. Mm. And that minimizing is probably probably a response to your father's narcissism, which you kind of re, kind of repulsed you. I think that, that I, I, I
1: Oh, absolutely. I think if I won the Nobel Prize for something, I would go like, yeah, you know, I think anybody would have done what I did. I think this would have been a good, you know. Um, but if I but if I what? but if I see but if I see like if I plant some seeds or something like that in, in my garden, and they start to sprout. Yes. I'm over the moon. Come look at these seeds. Look at this. Look how gorgeous these are. Look at the. It's a weird thing with me.
0: Do you when you say seeds, you mean that literally, as opposed to Peter Sellers in the movie Being There? the character Chauncey Gardner, who was a gardener, but the president mistook his gardening words for wisdom. In the spring, and he was celebrating. We celebrated. plant the garden. No, I, I meant that's it literally. Right. That's right, Bob. Mm-hmm. That's right, Jim. I can't remember the name. Yeah, ben. no, that's interesting. I think that is interesting. The name was Ben. That's correct, Ben. You remember the actor who played Ben?
1: I do, uh, and I can see him, and I'm blanking on his name.
0: I'll give you a hint. He was an older man.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: (laughs) Is that helpful? I think that might narrow it down.
1: Not helpful at all. Uh, Okay,
0: I'm going to give you another hint. I'm going to give you another hint. His first name. Listen, I'm going to give you another hint. Yeah. His first name started with an M.
1: You know, it's so funny. In my head, it was it was M. Mark, Michael.
0: I think Mel. Oh, Melvin. Longer. Yeah, Melvin Douglas. That's it. Yeah. Ba bum. What do we have for him, Johnny? Oh, we have the new Proctor Silex chemotherapy machine. That's a, that's a joke from 19. 19- <laughs> Wait, there's a reference what to that. that. That's not me making. That's not me making fun of cancer victims. My father died of cancer, by the way. That is a, a, a mine, joke you from bastard. Fuck you, you fucking fuckhead. Well, we're we talking about Jared Kushner now, or no? We're just talking about the uh, but the the joke. The joke comes from the early 80s improv, the Improv in Los Angeles, owned by Bud Friedman. Um, The improv, the comedian's name, now I can't remember if it was one of two comedians. There were two comedians who I loved in the early 80s at the improv when I was just a kid. I was a teenager and I would go there. Uh, One was named Barry Diamond, funniest guy you've ever seen on a stage. I don't know what happened to him in the world, but he was brilliant. And the other guy's more famous, Charlie Fleischer, who did all kinds of stuff on TV and stuff. And one of them did that. Charlie Fleischer did this bit, <laughs> just to remind me. Charlie Fleischer did this bit. There was the old sign at the improv. It was kind of a rickety sign behind the stage. It, it said improvisation, but the I, the letter I was literally missing from the sign. So it said improvisation, right? Um, and Charlie Fleischer looked, turned around one time and saw the sign and just said this. <clears throat> he said, ooh, the I is missing from the improvisation. Perhaps a reference to Moshe Diane. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> that's fantastic. It's a good early. Do you 80s think? He, do, you think joke. do you think?
1: that he uh, came up with that on the spot?
0: I think it's very possible. He's he was he's had an incredible mind. He was Robin Williams like in his mind. And who's he the guy? Brilliant. Who
1: who did Bud Friedman used to say was the funniest guy ever that he ever
0: met? Okay, so this is such a classic L.A. This is one of those like oh we grew up in L.A. We knew celebrity stories, but I'm going to tell it anyway because it's funny. Um, Bud Friedman's daughter and i went to elementary school together and we were on a camping trip are you answering um, are you are, this is are you getting around to answering the question it's a very long-winded answer to your question um bud freeman's daughter and i were friendly her name was beth she was very nice uh, she had a younger sister named Zoe also very nice really nice kids um, I haven't seen either of them in 30 years but they were really nice was my memory and uh, Beth invited me to the house for this party Bud was throwing and Bud would throw these parties these classic la parties and all these young comedians young at the time in the early 80s David Letterman types and the guy named Tom Dreeson. and he was older a um, bunch of comedians so Bud Friedman pulls me over because Bud was the kind of guy that liked to like to you know tell you about everybody and you know he knew everybody and he he liked to display that um so bud calls me over and i was i was what 14 maybe at the time and he says you see that guy there was a, and there was a nebbishy from our point of view a jewish nebbishy looking guy sitting across the room by a fireplace all by himself night this is so the, the camping trip was like 1978 maybe this was 1979 we were early teens and he says you see that guy that's the funniest guy in the world it's gonna be huge huge i, can I, say, I think can he I said say who it huge. was can i say who it was yeah. Can I finish the story? Though? Yes. I think he said the word huge and he said it twice. And the person he said it about was Albert Brooks. Albert Brooks. Very funny. Very funny. Very dry. Do you remember my story about,
1: about a letter being out in a sign? No, I have no idea what You are talking about. You and, I lived, you and I both lived at Bush and Taylor in San Francisco. We lived in the same building from outside of my bedroom window. I don't remember if you could see it, but the uh, Clift Hotel. You could see the Clift Hotel yeah, and the uh, the F burnt out on the Clift Hotel sign for a week.
0: Uh huh. Yes, I do have a vague memory of this. Yeah, it just said Clit for a week on on the on the top uh-huh. of the, that hotel. That's not as good a story as my Albert Brooks story. I'm just going to say, in terms of story judgment, I would say, vis- I would say I'd say, Albert say Albert visually, I'd say visually, it is an infinitely infinitely better story. Right, infinitely better visually, Visually. although now as we're using words to describe it in an audio format, it kind of loses something in the translation. Although I guess imagination or whatever you mean. all right,
1: all right. Imagine picturing a young Albert Brooks sitting by a fireplace or the word clit illuminated on top of a
0: hotel. I don't know. Maybe it's me, but I'm much more excited about the Albert Brooks thing. It's completely you. Okay. I think uh, Albert Brooks is a comic genius. Underappreciated in our culture, I th- but anyway, I think, I, digress. I think the clitoris is a physiological <laughs> genius. It's not underappreciated, though. I would argue. I would argue it might be underappreciated. Okay, this is an uncomfortable conversation, but let's move on to talking about something meaningful like nuclear war. <laughs> The topic of today's podcast, now 20, <laughs> tw- 20 minutes into a meandering, random, banter-centric uh, rant, is a pandemic That what You see, that was cause so chewy and, chew- chewy and chewy. Yeah. Am I, I, can you not interrupt me when I'm doing the, the whole, like, this is the topic of the podcast, a very <laughs> critical <laughs> statement on the topic? Can you, yeah. can you not interrupt yeah, me? Yeah, sorry. And we've been interrupting
1: each other for 40 years, so I don't know how that... How yeah, that's that. true, too.
0: No, I don't want to stop that. I love that. I just want to stop it. <laughs> I end- love interrupting it- you. <laughs> <laughs> I will continue to interrupt continue you, interrupt you. <laughs> until the cows freeze over in hell. Okay. Um, so, but anyway, what's the topic of the show? The topic of the show is pandemic politics and the political voice. Ooh, that sounds deep. You guys are deep. You say it: pandemic politics and the political voice. Say in a deep voice. Say in that baritone. I don't have a baritone. Pandemic, politics, and the political voice. You know, when you were younger, you had a much deeper voice. I don't know what's happened to you. I don't know what has happened to you, but you had a very deep, rich voice as a young child, I don't think and I, now you I don't sound like I, you're much higher up I, in the range I don't think I did. I think you're, that's just a, no, you definitely did. Um, Wait. So what were we just talking about? Pandemics, politics, the political voice. Yeah. Okay. So let's go to the, the new segment of the show, which took us 19 minutes to get to roughly. But the news, the first new segment of the show is, um, what are we calling it again?
1: What? Gin, <laughs> gin and tonic?
0: <laughs> about to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm gin and tonic. Yeah, it's gin and tonic. Okay. It's what brings me joy and what makes me crazy. Under the premise that gin brings us joy and tonic is crazy making. I don't know cuz I never had a gin and tonic in my life, but let's just go with that explanation. Yeah. Does oh, that work for wait, you? Wait, you?
1: you know what though? Oh, you know in a, it does work if you really want to if you want to, right? You could say, "Oh, yes. the gin brings the joy. The tonic is what makes you able to drink so much gin you end
0: up being you end up becoming insane." Okay, so I thought you were going to say the tonic it brings the fizzy bubbling nature up, and it just makes you crazy. All that carbonation fries the brain. Well, That's I mean, the bubbly and
1: fizzy, the bubbly stuff is. Uh, I mean, I we we could explain it the opposite of what I just said. We could say, the 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 tonic is the fuzzy joyful. The stuff that makes it extra easy to drink, and the gin is ultimately the stuff that will rot your brain and make you
0: insane. We could go, we could go, either, we could go either way. But anyway, let's go back to pandemics, politics, and the political voice, and this segment: gin and tonic. Ah, the crowd's going crazy. It's like a, it's like a Greek chorus out there. Enough with you, Brutus. But anyway, um, so let's start with you. Yeah, Brutus. Brutus <laughs> yeah, by the way, of- was not in the
1: chorus and that was not a, and that was not a greek play but but other than other than that you are you are you are totally on point
0: you know i don't appreciate you you bringing me down man okay. i don't appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> oh okay so let's start with you joshua joshua beckett this week what brought you
1: joy can i just start
0: with what makes me fucking insane <laughs> I, I love that you you completely shifted it because that's the top of mind. Yeah, go. What makes you completely fucking? You know what insane? What makes me
1: fucking insane?
0: What does make you fucking when insane? You go
1: into the supermarket. When I go into the supermarket, and they have rearranged the whole fucking store, or or whatever, the, or whatever <laughs> the department is. Now, I think that there's a reason behind this. I think the reason is they want you to move around searching for shit so that you will discover other shit and then buy it. <laughs> I think that is why they do it. I don't know, but that Mm -hmm. is my guess. But in the meantime, they move everything around. You spend the next four weeks or six weeks or whatever it is memorizing where everything is so that you can get in, find your shit and get out of the store. And then they move everything around. And you're like, where the fuck is the kale? It's always right here. And then you realize, oh, you motherfucker. Fuckers, you rearrange the store. I fucking hate that.
0: <laughs> wow, um, have you thought about seeing a doctor? Perhaps no, because this sounds like it could be a, a an aging issue. <laughs> I guarantee that doesn't make you insane. I guess first of all, you
1: never even um, go to the fucking store. You don't cook for yourself. You don't go shopping anymore. When we lived okay, together, two- you went. There was like you went regularly, but you don't do that anymore.
0: Yeah, I right. first of all. I do go to the market because even though I don't cook much, I still buy food because I I require like, oh, I don't know, every other fucking human being, I require food to live, to survive. So I do still go to the market. Although lately, I have to say, pandemically, I have been uh, ordering food from Safeway and it's been delivered the last couple of times, which, so I haven't been going to the market as much. But I will say this about the market, first of all, um, you're insane. That's one thing I want to say. When we were kids, when we were, let me talk. When we were kids, I always thought that you, as you got older, you would be kind of the calm, sane one, and I would be the kind of crazy, loose cannon one. And as it turns out, you are much more cretugeny and older in the, these ways of things that annoy the fuck out of you than I am. I am much less annoyed than I have ever been in my life about those kinds of things. Who knew? I never would have imagined. Who, what that. makes you? What oh. makes you insane? Okay, so I'm going to talk about something in a completely different way. Although yours makes me laugh much more than this is going to be funny. This is much more serious. What makes me fucking insane today, in particular, is this person who calls himself the vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, the former um, religious zealot governor of Indiana, anti. Um, progressive rights of all kinds, who who has five staff members, five staff members this week diagnosed with coronavirus, very close people he's interacted with, and then has, and by the way, to preface, Mike Pence, the vice president of the United States, is the head of the coronavirus task force in this country. This week, we're seeing cases, the total, the cumulative number of cases in the last seven days is the highest it's been since the start of the pandemic, the highest, It's been since the start of the pandemic. CDC guidelines require anybody exposed to somebody like he has been exposed to multiple times to quarantine for 10 to 14 days. Uh, And he has chosen basically to declare himself an essential worker, an essential worker, and said he will not be quarantined at all. Not only that, he will be going out on the campaign trail doing rallies and speaking to people. And I had two thoughts about this. And why this makes me crazy.
1: Yeah. Vice President of the United is, States, by the way. The definition of a non essential
0: worker. <laughs> He's a well said. Well said. He has he has one job, one constitutional one. If the president dies, he gets a new job. Right. That's his job. His job is to wait for a new job. Right. He has actually no job. His only job description, his only meaningful job description is to wait for the next job, which may never come. Okay, so let's get that out of the way. But so he not only is he not setting an example for the country as the second most powerful leader in the country. Not only is he not setting an example, but he is recklessly endangering the Secret Service, the staff on the airplane, the people that serve him drinks, the maids, the housekeepers, the butlers where he lives at the... uh, the uh, uh, vice presidential residence at the Naval Observatory, all of that, in just the most reckless and disgusting disregard for other people. The level of privilege involved in that is beyond comprehension. And it just and in this week, where we have hit the highest level of coronavirus cases in the history of this pandemic, his his disregard for other people and for setting any kind of standard, which the, they don't do those two, but any kind of moral stance for the country to say this is the right thing to do and by the way we require every fucking other person in the country to do this it's in the cdc guidelines but i'm above the law above the rules above caring about the people i'm supposed to take care of oh my fucking god do i sound annoyed you do sound annoyed
1: can i ask you a question uh yes he lives in an observatory
0: Yes. Isn't that cool? That, it's Here's that, the thing. It's called cool. the Naval Observatory. I don't think his house is actually an observatory. There might be, and I don't know enough about this, and I wish I had researched this. There might be an actual observatory on the grounds of what's called the Naval Observatory, or else the name seems like it sort of misses the point. Uh, that's like calling 7-Eleven. It's a cow pasture. If there are no cows, it's not really a cow pasture. But anyway, so does so he, I don't does know he, about does that. He go
1: home? It's like- Honey, I'm going to go turn on the telescope.
0: Well, that's what I said. I don't think in the house they live in, there is a telescope. Although, I wouldn't put it past the pences, because it's always the people that pretend to be one thing on the outside that are something very different on the inside. That's all I'm saying. I don't have any knowledge. Or as Donald Trump would say, some people say that he is a little weird sexually. But I I wouldn't say it, but some people say it. That's what Trump always says about everything. So I don't I don't think they're. I don't find any. I find almost nothing weird
1: anymore about anything. Certain, <laughs> certainly, sexually, there's very little that you could him. say
0: to me that I they would say like, "Yeah, that sounds weird." No, that I sounds think, weird sexually. Yeah, yeah. I think that's not true, but I appreciate the sentiment behind it, and I think the sentiment behind it is true. But I think practically, it's not true. Okay, because i remember You think that I would think is weird sexually? Okay. As as like all things in the world, it can be it can be attributed to one of three media uh, outputs: The Godfather, The West Wing, or Grey's Anatomy. Everything can be everything that happens in the world can go into one of those three shows, movie shows. Um, this is a Godfather reference. Um, there is a scene in Godfather Two when Michael and Fredo are in Cuba with Senator, what's his name from Nevada? Mm -hmm. His name I can't remember now. I I think I am getting old. What the hell was that guy's name? Senator Cleary? Senator Mm -hmm. Geary. Senator Geary, maybe. I think it was Senator Geary. Anyway, that actor was terrific. They're in Nevada. And this is the point where this is a pivotal scene in Godfather 2, because it's in this scene when Fredo says something that Michael realizes that Fredo was the traitor. And this sets off a series of events that leads to Fredo's execution. Uh, I don't want to give it away for those of you who haven't seen Godfather 2. Can't believe you. A just movie said that, that, that came out in 1974. So if you haven't seen it, you go see it. Um, but anyway, so they go to this sex club and the senator is bragging to the people there. He says, Oh, Fredo brought me here before. Wait to this guy. And the, the guy's known as the I can't remember exactly. I think he's known as the bull or something. A man walks out. And he takes off his robe and you don't see it, but you're basically told that he has a very large male unit. And then there's something with a bull and a couple of farm animals. What was the word you used? Nothing seems something no, to me I anymore. Said weird. I just used your language. I just oh. said weird. <clears throat> that doesn't seem weird to you, a man and a, a man with a very large male member and lots and a, of farm and, animals. And a bull? Well, if you had said he, a had, a, and, and well, said he had a bull and then a small, monkey, on top if you of said the he bull? had a
1: small member, then I might have said that was weird but if he's got a large member then a bull a bull seems to make perfect sense to me.
0: Uh-huh. All right. Excellent. So now I've just had this vision of the podcast. The podcast we have we have themes for the show. This show is about pandemic, politics and the political voice and at the end of 45 minutes we realize oh, we never got to that. <laughs> what were we talking about? We we're talking about bull semen. This show is mostly about bull semen. All right. So wait, we still okay, finished so that, that was, first segment, so that, which is long winded. So,
1: so you—that
0: was the gin part of gin and tonic. Okay. So now we have to get to the tonic. Okay. No, that was the tonic. No, that was with that was the tonic. Now we. Have, okay. Wait, which is the thing that's bringing you joy? I think that we're going to go with the gin. You're going with the you're going you're
1: going with the gin bringing to joy and the tonic, taking you over the top and then making you insane. You're going with that as opposed to the the tonic is the bubbly joyous stuff and the gin is the is the, yeah. The harsh stuff.
0: Uh, I, those of you who know me know that I am not a big drinker. In fact, I I rarely drink, not by choice, just because pandemically I haven't had a drink in a while. But just because I'm just not a big drinker. I like lots of wine. I like a a margarita or a shot of tequila every once in a while, but not much more than that. But I do like the idea <clears throat> that the gin is what brings you joy because I do think a little bit of alcohol um, feels good. A little bit. That's just you know my thing. So let's go with that. So we just did the what makes us crazy which is the uh, the tonic so now let's do the gin what brings you joy Joshua Beckett what brings you joy
1: this is a harder one because there's there are so many <laughs> so well there's so many things that I could say right now um, so many things yeah um, but I, you know I mean and maybe this is too easy but but you know my daughter my daughter just brings me a huge amount of joy just a huge amount of joy also. Mm. Also, the thing that can bring me the single most frustration. Uh-huh. So that's a that's a joy and crazy. It is kind of a joy and crazy. But today, crazy joy. Today, a crazy joy. Today, a lot of joy.
0: Did she do something today in particular that brought you joy, or is this just a generalized sense of joy? Just a general sense of joy. Just 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 a general sense of joy. All right, and uh, it's a little bit of a cop out, but all right, we'll go with that for now. I mean, not that your daughter doesn't bring you joy, and daughter, my daughter brings me joy, but yeah, it's a little bit of a cop out. Um, okay, so I'm gonna again go with the topical idea, and I guess for me, this idea, and you need to hone in on this from my perspective, is this is about what's happened. We're topically like what brought you joy this week. So for next week's episode, let's kind of, let's come up with something that's specific. What brought you joy this week? Something that you can point to. Okay this side note okay
1: i I think i think my what made me insane this week was very au
0: courant (laughs) yes it was very au courant i can barely even say that um we'll have to translate that for other people who don't know what that means one of them is me by the way uh, later (laughs) but uh, i have no fucking idea what au courant means could you explain what that means
1: what was happening currently i i was i went shopping what language
0: is that french yeah, I didn't take French. I didn't take French either, but you know. But you spent some time in countries that speak French.
1: I did, and I I, I did learn French in Is Morocco is
0: Morocco a mostly French speaking country? It's the lingua franca. <laughs> um do you remember what year you were in Morocco? Uh eighty eight. 80- is that a question? 88. You know what happened in 88? I was in Morocco. Yeah. You know what else happened in 88? And this is on the topic, by the way, of pandemic, politics, and the political voice. Uh, I was working for the Dukakis for President campaign.
1: That didn't work as a out. young
0: As a young man. Well, this is the point I was going to make. So, And this is what's so scary eight days out from an election. In the summer of 1988, at the Democratic Convention in Atlanta that I attended, um uh, I just want to say a shout out to someone I haven't spoken to or seen in about 20 years either, Matt Peterson, who was my friend on the campaign, who scored us two red floor passes. At an arena that was so small that even Jesse Jackson Jr.'s son—I'm sorry, Jesse Jackson's son, Jesse Jackson Jr., who later became a congressman and I think went to prison for a Uh, while—but anyway, he was just a kid then, like we were. He didn't have tickets to get in. That's how small the venue was. His father couldn't get him into the venue. He borrowed my ticket to get into the venue. Um, But Matt Peterson, who was one of the nicest, um, smartest guys I've ever known in my life, again, I haven't spoken to him in. 20 years but an incredible guy but Matt Peterson uh, was friends with this big New Jersey fundraiser who gave him two of his floor passes so he and I had had front row seats to that convention a lot of really interesting speeches from Bill Clinton to I don't know John Kennedy yeah, that's, that's Jr. all kinds of stuff. It's a perfect story
1: that typifies you asked me the other day like well what's a, what's a classic <laughs> me story that is a classic yeah. you story no business being on having those tickets no business being there somehow you end up Correct.
0: Being, you know, talking your way in or, or, or just. I also, by the way, there. I don't know if you've ever been to a political convention. This was my first and only one. But a, there are lots of parties going on, lots of big parties hosted by lots of famous people. And there was this big Ted Turner, the creator of CNN, was hosting this huge party at the what was called the CNN Center then. Uh, Crystal Gale sang at the party and the food was incredible. And to get into the party, it was in a hotel and you walked in the main level of the hotel and then there were escalators. Uh, and in front of the escalators was a long table with name tags and that's where you, you got your badge to go down to the party. This was a part, this was a fundraiser. It was like a thousand dollars a person or something. Uh, and you had to be pretty famous to get in there. And so I was with these two young women who were working on the campaign. The three of us were just walking over there and I had this idea. I'd never done this before, but I had this idea that if we just, you know, acted with a certain kind of bravado which was a lot of my persona in those days, um, we could figure our way into the party. So I said, let's just get in line and see if we can talk our way in. So we waited in line to at uh, this table. Mm-hmm. And as we're getting close to the table, I see that <clears throat> and again, security has changed a lot in the last 30 years. But they all they all people did was walk up to the table and the woman behind the table said, Your name and she and they he told them their name and then she gave them the badge. Nobody was checking IDs. So as we're getting closer to the table and I had, you know, I was known for having perfect vision in those days right oh, is that correct
1: insane vision like like right? like if if you had been like into the military you probably could have been a great pilot
0: yeah or a sniper i think probably yeah for sure yeah sniper yeah. okay um but anyway except you know so, except oh. your
1: aversion to the outdoors you make you a terrible sniper no
0: in, indoor sniper oh, oh, indoor, indoor sniper
1: specialty specialty yeah. unit in the, that, in, yeah. the indoor just, sniper just, unit not those yeah, guys who like camouflage killing- themselves with bushes.
0: No, God, no, I'm not going to wear camouflage. No, like like in a foreign a capital inside the Capitol building, I could probably have killed a head of state from inside the building. You know, like all those horror movies, like he's in the house. That would have been me as a sniper. He's in the building. love it. We, um, that was my idea. Indoor anyway, sniper. Kenny,
1: Kenny indoor Benjamin, sniper. Kenny Benjamin. I I. think indoor I've, sniper. I think
0: I've just created a new field. Yeah.
1: I think um, if you're an yeah, indoor except I, also... I think if you're an indoor sniper that's called an assassin and you have to kill someone like with a ballpoint pen in the ear or something like that. And then you don't no, that's and very then you Godfather-y. don't need then
0: you don't need good vision. I think you always need good I mean I would say good vision is always helpful. Let's just say like always helpful. It's just like drinking water. Always helpful. Like you're not going to go wrong with drinking water and having good vision. Am I wrong? Drinking water and having good vision? Yeah, no, you you're not going to go wrong with that. You're not going to go wrong with that. No. That's my point. Yeah. Always good. Okay. So, so we walk up, me and these two young women who um were on the campaign together working, we walk up to the table and just as the person, in, there were, there's one person in front of us now. And I look down on the table and the name tags are there, but they're backward. And I, I look down, and I read a name that I remembered. I was very into sports in those days, as I'm sure you recall. And there was a guy named Stan Caston, I think was his name. And he was the president I'm pretty sure he was the president of the Atlanta Hawks basketball team and also the football team or also the baseball team. I don't remember. He was a big macher in the Atlanta sports world. And I notice his name. So I say to the the women, I say, "Okay, just go with me on this. And okay, we're all the same age, by the way. I just want to preface that the three of us were all 22 years old or 19 to 22, somewhere in there. And so we walk up to the table and I say to the woman, she says, name, sir. And I said, uh, Stan Caston," and I, I need a badge for my wife and my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, that's what I said. And the woman says, uh, okay. And she sees the Stan Caston thing. And she hands it to me, and she hands me two extra badges so you could get down the escalator, which had huge security guards. And that was it. We got into this amazing that party. A, so that, that uh, is a classic you story. And then just as we're on this topic, because it was so much fun, and this is not something I've done in decades, but Jesse Jackson Sr., the Jesse Jackson was also hosting a huge party that week and so with the same one of the same two women i think and i went to this other party and this time it was the security was much tighter and you couldn't just go through the front but i noticed because I noticed things. I noticed about 20 feet to the left, there were doors that people were coming out of and there was no security at the exit. So I said, come on. And we just kind of casually did that kind of like serpentine shell thing from the Mm in-laws, like walking sideways, walking sideways, walking sideways, and just stood there kind of hovering. In the same way, by the way, my dad used to go to the front of the line in movies cuz he hated waiting um, and we, he would just make us even as kids which always made me a little uncomfortable we would just stand in the front by the box office pretending we were i don't know just doing something and then when they let everyone in who was a huge line down the block we would just walk in with them uh, same idea so the door opened to the exit and some, there was a security guard on the inside and i said to the i said to the woman i was with just like a Act like you belong. And I said, Come on, come on, we gotta get in. Uh, J- Jimmy's expecting us to, I don't know. I made up some line as I said it out loud. And the guy just w- waved us through, got in through the exit. That was uh that was another classic me from but that another, era. That's another
1: that's another classic from from that era. Act like you
0: belong. That's act like you belong. That's a classic you thing from that era. I think that was the days before credentialing and computer chips. So it was much easier, I think, in some ways, to act like you belong. I, I don't know if that would work today, but anyways. All right. So what? where were we? We're doing an opening bit to the show now that we're almost you know 40 minutes in. We're doing the opening bit, which is what brings us joy? What makes us crazy? Gin and tonic, my friends. Yeah. And uh, so what brings you joy? Your daughter. What brings me joy? Ask me the question. What brings you joy? Use my full name. Use my full name. What brings you
1: joy, Kenny Benjamin?
0: Thank you for asking me that. Um... Okay, so this is, again, political for me, because that's all I can think about eight days out before the most consequential president election of our lifetime. Um, what brings me joy is the hope that our long national nightmare is ending. Let us say amen. That's what gives you joy? Can I get an amen, brother? Mm, no. <laughs> that's what
1: gives you joy? You won't give me an amen?
0: No. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's bringing me joy this week. The hope you're the getting joy. That we
1: might be you're getting joy from from hoping that he that that's that Donald Trump's
0: going to be. Yeah, I find hope very joyful. Mm. Do you not find hope joyful? Hope to me is a joyful idea. Mm, yeah, it's a joyful idea. As Jesse Jackson said at that 1988 convention, "Up with hope, down with dope. Keep hope alive." Mm. So I think I think we all can get behind that. This podcast brought to you by the people at Up with Hope, Down with Dope. So that was my my Jesse Jackson well, Jr. That's nice. I I hope, many that you, years. I hope that you
1: I hope that you I hope that your
0: you my joy comes true.
1: Yeah, I mean I hope your hope is is not misplaced. I hope it's it brings you more joy when you see it come come I, to fruition.
0: I hope so too, not only for you but for your daughter and my daughter and the future of humanity, one might argue. You know, that. Yeah. So um, let's talk about this notion of the political voice, which is something you brought up to me the other day in a conversation. Tell me a little bit about what you were thinking when you were thinking of the political voice. What is that? And then after you do that, I will make another Westerning reference related to the political voice. Go on. Um, well, you,
1: you know, you you have a much stronger political voice than I do. And that, that is that, you know, you are, first of all, you are better informed, uh, on politics than I am. You speak more, um, eloquently about politics than I do. You have a very strong, uh, point of view about politics. Mm -hmm. Um, so the political voice is what I was referring to is point of view and the way that you articulate that point of view. And you said something about how do you find that, or my question to you, and this is not the question, but yeah, I mean, how, how <laughs> and when did you, how and when did you find your political voice?
0: You know, that it's an interesting question because I don't think I've ever thought of it or conceptualized it in that idea of a political voice, and but I, but I think part of it came. Wow, I'm getting goosebumps as I just had this kind of realization in my head. I never thought of it this way, but now as I look back, I. I started reading before the internet. God, we're so fucking old. I started reading magazines when I was a kid, when I was really young, like 10 or 11, political magazines. Oh, I'm, because... glad, you, I'm
1: glad you qualified that because I started reading magazines when I was young too, but I wouldn't really call it reading magazines. <laughs> I was about 11. It was more of a visual <laughs> visual thing. Yes. I think that's a theme yeah. for the show. I think I am more hey, wait, don't say anything.
0: Anymore. Don't say anything for a second. See if this rings a bell to you. I'm a student at a small Midwestern college. <laughs> I was in the <laughs> library one night studying, and I never Remember thought that, this yeah, would happen yes, to me. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That brings me back to a different era. Yeah. And for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, good. Yeah. We're just going to move on. Yeah. So um, so you started reading? The political voice. Yeah. Uh, and and it's because, magazines. and I think the, yeah, and I think old the were reason. How you you started reading political magazines? Well, as I just said, before you interrupted, I said 10 or 11, I think. Okay. I think the reason that I started reading the political magazines was twofold. One, I didn't feel like I had any voice as a child. Like I I think those of you who don't know my childhood upbringing, I was raised by divorced parents and I was alone all the time. And I never felt like I had a home or I felt safe or I felt loved in a way that made me feel okay. uh, Or I felt I could had anybody I could talk to. So that was really sad. And a lot of what I would call benign neglect, which led to a lot of trauma uh, later. But um, So that's a long way of saying I I was looking to find a way to be heard, to be seen. Uh, And what I learned at a very young age that I was good at, and I don't know why, was this. I was good at talking. I was good at making connections with people and talking to adults. and that was the only way I would ever got any attention. So I learned really quickly to do that. And part of what I, part of what I took on as my identity or my a sense of like accomplishment was that I could speak with authority as an 11 year old about politics, and that seemed to impress people when I started to do that. And I think that's what I reacted to. And I remember reading, you know, The Atlantic, The Nation, The New Republic, all these, and it was all magazines. And I remember reading all these magazines, and as you said, like I was. I was very articulate about politics at, at an age before most children even know what that is because it was the only, and because I spent a lot of my time God, this all feels so sad, as I said, and, and if you feel sad for me, please, please feel free to send me a chocolate babka. Uh, just write it to Kenny Benjamin America and I'll get it. It's like <laughs> a Santa Claus thing. <laughs> Kenny Benjamin America chocolate babka and I'll get it. Okay. Do you remember, do you um, remember
1: my grandmother I, was so well known
0: that she once got a letter <laughs> that said Betty, Betty Riffkind Westwood. I do yeah, remember that. Yeah. That's actually funny. Uh, I do so remember that. Yeah. And she was very well known. Um, but anyway, so I started reading these magazines and I remember because I spent, God, this is so sad. But I spent a lot of my time after school in sixth grade in particular, I remember, with my si- my homeroom teacher, who was also the science teacher, Mrs. Strober, who I remember her name. She was a great teacher and really nice. I spent a lot of time after just hanging out after school with my teachers, helping them or doing whatever. I also spent a lot of time after school with friends' houses, helping their moms. And I found that when I had something to say that impressed people... Like talking about politics as an 11-year-old, I remember I made my first political speech in support of Jimmy Carter in sixth grade in 1976. And I, you know, what the funny thing I remember about that was, again, no internet. There was no way to get information about a candidate without sending a letter to the office and asking them to send you a brochure. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And the brochure, I remember the brochure so plainly. It was green. And I remember I wrote a speech that I then delivered in class from that one little green brochure. So that's where the political voice came for me. It was a way to be heard. It was a way to to not be invisible, to not feel invisible, mm. um because that's what I felt. I felt invisible, yeah, so that's where it developed. And then, as I got older and started to like live in the world, you know, I started to care about things that were meaningful. I remember Reagan, you know, and uh, uh unions and i just i learned things i learned about the the union movement a little bit and about the you know this is way before the aocs of the world but you know about de- the democratic socialists and about uh, eugene debs and about this fight to to create a work workplace that allowed people to have lives and have children and see their children and be paid reasonably and, and not be attacked and all these things mattered to me again i felt like an i think cuz again i felt like an underdog i felt like an other I was alone. I, I didn't have the kind of wealth and privilege that all of my friends had. So I had to find some way to distinguish myself, and this is what I took up, this idea of being smart and being uh knowledgeable about current events and topical things. That's why. That's my political voice. Do you think that's important in general for people
1: um uh for citizens, you know, uh oh
0: God yes. Be, because I to, yeah. to
1: find a political voice, whatever that voice, whatever that voice is, by the way,
0: Yeah. Yes. Because I'll tell you what, and here's the thing that I don't think we're taught, which I think is just utterly true. Everything is political. People, people, some people like to say, well, I'm not into politics and I don't. Yeah. People don't like elected politics because a lot of the politicians today, you know, are dishonest, are power hungry, are Donald Trump, you know, just complete morons who, who pretend to be one thing to, to get over on people. Um, but everything is political, right? The the personal is political. Yes. And I think that goes, uh, yeah, I just think that's true of everything. And so everybody is political, even if they don't want to be, it's unavoidable. You can't be, you can't, it's like saying, I don't believe, I don't live in the culture I live in. Well, Everybody lives in the culture and everybody gets the influences from the culture. You can't escape them. Mm-hmm. And that's why politics and the political voice and identity are all interwoven. We just not, we just ever been taught to think about our, ourselves mm. in a political way that's not negative. Most people hear the word politics. You know, it's like the third rail. It's like, oh, you don't talk about politics and religion with people. Right. Because and that that's given politics and the notion of politics a bad rep. In our culture, but but meaningful change and meaningful service to others is always political. So yes, the political voice is important. And now, a moment of uh, West Wing reference. There is a scene. There is a whole uh, when Jimmy Smith's in the latter part of the West Wing after Aaron Sorkin left. When a lot of people stopped watching, but I still think the show is very valuable. And Jimmy Smith's was terrific. And that actress whose name I can't remember who starred in the Genji Cohen show Weeds who was very talented and always interesting. And do you remember her name off the top of your head? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. She played a political consultant that had kind of an on and off affair with the character, Josh, Joshua Lyman, um, played by Bradley Whitford, also a terrific actor. Jimmy Smith's is sort of, he's run he's a Congressman in the show and he's running for president and he was kind of plucked from obscurity by the Josh Lyman character and he's not really ready for it yet. And he's trying to find his way. Right, like most people are, and he's trying to find his voice. And in this context, they called it the presidential voice. Right, he's he's running for president, mm-hmm. so he's doing this kind of debate prep with this actress whose name I can't remember. Um, God, it's gonna frustrate me. But uh, he's doing this debate prep, and, and they're 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 having this whole conversation about the presidential voice and the presidential voice. And then at the end of like a couple episode arc about this, it comes out that she says like. The the thing they don't tell you about the presidential voice is you don't get it until you're president. Mm -hmm. It's like you can't learn it because the presidential voice is a function of the presidency. Yes. Well, that was and that was the case until Donald Trump existed. And now we don't have a presidential voice. Right.
1: And so and so what about the and what about the political voice? What what would you say to people who want to find a political voice Um, and are or you know have always been historically uh apolitical well or non-political yeah apolitical or not wanting to to to
0: touch that third rail as you say I think I think this might be a language issue. This might be a cultural language problem. again, when we say political, people think it means elected politic commentary, right? Political means for me, the political voice is the voice of this is so like modern American guru online Simon Sinek shit, but the it's the voice of your why. It's it's what matters to you, why it matters, and being able to articulate that in a way that shares that with others. That's the political voice. The political voice is what do I value, or better said, what do I give value to, and how do I, first identifying that in a meaningful way, because I think a lot of people, again, we're not taught to really identify what really matters to us, and then connect to the why of it, why it matters to us. Where did I take up that belief? Where did I take on those values that gave me that that thing, the idea that this mattered, and then connect that to our lives and the people and the relationships in our lives, and then express that in a way. That's what being political is. It's knowing what matters to you, why it matters, and then making those connections, and then expressing it. To me, that's the political voice. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, I like the I like the 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 point you're making that you know there's a, there's perhaps a linguistic problem here. Um, I, I, I think that what I would add to that is what are the things that our government is doing or is not doing, or what are the things that our society is doing or not doing that does or does not support those values mm-hmm. or what sure. right? or what are you doing as a member of society that supports those values? i would I would say that's the piece that you're that you're missing in
0: in in your description. Um, well, yes, but that—that's that's the second piece. You were you were just asking me about the voice itself, from how I took it. What is the voice, and how do you find it, right? And then the second piece of it, you could argue, is what you just articulated really well. I I would suggest is that is that action is that understanding of how it, you relate to the culture and the world and what you do in it. Mm. Yeah, I think that's equally as meaningful as what I said. But I think that's I think that's well said, and it shows how we bring different you know things to the to the game as it were mm-hmm. because those those pieces go together yeah. does that make sense
1: yeah you know i'm much more politically informed than i ever was and i find yeah. myself scrolling through news it's really the only way i use my phone is i just read news but i still feel um, inadequate talking about politics i still feel like
0: i'm but is that because you you feel Ill, not informed enough, or because you don't think your voice matters, or in reference in, in comparison to other voices, you don't think you can articulate yeah, it the, as well. The, like, what, the, la- what's la- that about? the last
1: thing that you said.
0: Mm. The last thing that you said. Yeah. Well, that's that's a cultural problem too, right? We're 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 besieged by this idea of comparison and that we're supposed to compare ourselves to others to know if we're good enough, as opposed to we all matter, we're just we just haven't given enough support. To say, like, your voice matters, even if it's not the loudest, the most annoying, or the most knowledgeable, right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, ignorance is dangerous, too. It scares me a lot that people, like, you and I have joked about this in the comic shows. Talk. They go outside these Trump rallies, and they interview people, and people will say things like, no matter what evidence you show me to the contrary, I will never believe what you tell me, even if you prove it to me with empirical evidence. What the fuck are you supposed to say to someone who says that?
1: I don't know, but as we, you and I have talked about, I think part of that. There, I think there's also a shame component to that. Uh, no, nobody wants to be shown that stuff, because that would mean then admitting that they were wrong, and that would mean confronting a shame so deep, right? That 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 it's not even not worth going there. Just not worth going right because,
0: with. but that's based on the idea again that cultural notion that being wrong about something is shameful, as opposed to we're we just learn new things and so we evolve. Right? Those are two different ways of looking at the same thing. I I didn't know that, or I never heard that. Oh, I I'm willing to reconsider that, as opposed to taking that in as I am wrong, thus I am well, shameful, and maybe, I cannot admit I mean, that.
1: Wrong was maybe the not the best choice of you're wrong, not the best choice of language i think that oh, it's, realizing it's that, realizing issue. that i have been that i have been supporting something that is is reprehensible to me
0: <laughs> yes right i think yes you know and that brings up for me like the the charlotte march right uh, you and i have joked about this before too if, I'm, if I go to a march because I think that Confederate statues are okay, I don't. But let's just say that was the position I took up. And I go to a march in support of these statues, which is a, a perspective on history, right? We can disagree on... What the meaning is, but you, but reasonable people can say, like, I think our history should be preserved through our statues. Like, that's a perspective I don't agree with, but I can understand it. But if you go to a march and there are a couple thousand people there and you're in this march and you're thinking, yeah, we're protesting or being American, and all of a sudden, every single person around you starts to chant, Jews, Jews will, will not, not replace, replace us. us. Yeah. Jews will not replace yeah. us. If you're, your first thought might be, go ahead. Yeah. You go. No, if your thought is not, oh, I'm in the wrong. This is not for me. Yeah,
1: I'm in the wrong march.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and if you're a good person, yeah, one might yeah. argue by any kind of reasonable standard you walk of goodness, away. and you walk away. Yeah. You say, "Wait, I I thought I was in a different yeah. with a different group of people, and there aren't good people on both sides of Jews will not replace us. Correct. There just aren't. Right,
1: that is correct. I'll tell you something so else that, that makes me insane and that's will you i will that's that's apropos right now yeah right right now because it's apropos and next week
0: tell me tell me right now it
1: won't be i really really hate it when when i hear people say proudly that they don't vote that makes me fucking insane
0: people you know or just you mean people like on tv because you know people who say that proudly like do you
1: know people like that oh i do know someone like that i know at least one person like that um oh. but it makes me insane when i hear anybody say it pr- I, I i didn't it didn't ha- it doesn't have to be someone i know but when i hear someone yeah. say proudly i don't vote that makes me fucking insane yeah and i don't i don't need to, yeah, I don't need to go you, into I, that but but it, that makes me insane. no
0: you don't all right so let's get to the segment the four questions was going crazy <laughs> you know i love that i love the idea of the
1: that did not sound like a crowd by the anxious. way it didn't even sound anything like a crowd it sounded like
0: no it no, that sounded that in like in a post. monkey
1: with gas i don't know what that yeah that's that about. was my
0: monkey with that's good that was spot on my friend that oh, was is my that what you were going, going for impression. okay okay
1: yeah, i was going for monkey with the crowd goes Wild, but okay, great. I'm glad you nailed it. It's a good read. You nailed it. Okay, Uh, thank you. Yeah, I've been working on that for (laughs) months.
0: My monkey with gas. Like to me, that's been the most important thing I've done during the pandemic. My monkey with gas. You nailed it. No, I put the crowd noise in post. You know, we don't have to fuck around with that. Post, my friend. Um, so the four questions. I just I love the I love the big introduction idea. I like just like I've always liked this since I was a kid. I think it's because I watched so much fucking television when I was a kid, but I like the idea of the introduction. Like now, the coming segment, the four questions, and then the, the crowd goes wild and there's all kinds of excitement. There's a there's an excitement to it, you know. That's what mm, that's what mm. it brings. It's like the opening uh uh, language to the six million dollar man my favorite childhood television show we can make him better than he was better and the mu and the music builds better stronger faster do 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 kind of loved that when i was a kid oh that is israel they awesome. just had
1: to call it the man worth millions you put- <laughs> <laughs> that's right you put- can't use the word six million in any context six
0: million dollar man anyway um okay the four questions so this is a new segment where each week unbeknownst to the other we come up with two questions that we ask each other for a total of four in the idea that two plus two equals four as opposed to the idea that two plus two equals a sack of potatoes which is an adam arkin line from the west wing as everything can go back to the west wing okay go ahead Two questions for me of the four. So, so, okay. So then this, this
1: goes into the political voice. Did you were, and, and I'm, I'm having some, I I didn't know this about you, by the way, and how you found your political voice. Um, but when we, when you were, uh, a kid, when we were both kids, you were, (laughs) I don't know if you would say you were fanatical about sports, but you were, you had a very, uh, broad broad knowledge. knowledge of sports, especially football, basketball, baseball. And at some point you just stopped caring. And why did you stop caring about sports? Wow.
0: Well, you you just keep bringing up things that make me uh, sad, but okay. I will answer the question honestly, as honestly as I can in this context. Um, I stopped caring part of my, and this is so true of so many men, not you and your father, but most men in our culture, there is a connection that men make historically uh, with their fathers around the idea of sports Field of Dreams as a film comes to mind. One of my favorite films, by the way. Love that film. Love the feeling of that film. Uh, and it's because that connection with my dad, like uh, as we discussed earlier in the episode on fatherhood, my father communicated love through money. And one of the few things that my father really enjoyed talking about and engaging in activity with me was going to sporting events. So that was part of the way we connected as well. Um and so two things happened in my late in our late 20s that shifted my interest in sports. One of them sadly was the kind of corporatization of sports that is completely taken over sports today, but that was starting back then with luxury boxes and the the prices of tickets going up ridiculously and it became something only for the privileged and the the rich and the famous to really enjoy in person. When I was a kid, when we were kids, the most expensive ticket at Dodger Stadium in the 70s, the most expensive ticket right above the dugout where we sat was $7.50 a ticket. Let that sink in for a second. Even adjusted for inflation, that was not expensive. Seven dollars and fifty cents. Those same tickets today cost, I'm, I think, six hundred dollars. Now that's just not normal inflation over thirty five years. To go from seven dollars to six hundred dollars. Six hundred dollars a ticket. Think about that today. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing. The, I'm doing the red fox thing with the the hand on the
1: heart, having a heart attack.
0: <laughs> for for a two parent family and two children, that's $2,400 for the seats. And then when you add in food and parking and all the rest of it, you're talking about $2,600 to go to a baseball game. $2,600. That is not affordable to 99.8% of the people who live in this country, okay? So that's one of the things that happened. By the way, if you do that same math, when I was a kid, a family of four Going to a baseball game, tickets were $30. You probably spent $20 on food. You may have spent $50, which, by the way, was still not cheap. You just did, you just a, did all a that normal, math in your head? I did, yes. I can do four times $750 or four okay. times $100 yeah. in You're my head. You're still good. You still got it. You still Man, got it. I can still got it. Thank you. Um, but the difference between a $50 night out and a $600 night out, even adjusted for time and inflation, is significant. Um, so that was one of the things that happened. And, and, and also because of my political voice, by the way, this is so well tied in your question. I love it. Thank you for being so thoughtful. But because of my, my growing interest in politics and my awareness of the cost of going to things and how that affected an average family and, and the politics of that, the politics of sports, it, it did shift my enjoyment. I lost the ability to enjoy it as much. And of course, the second thing that happened When I was 29, after two months after my daughter was born and um, not two months after my daughter was born, um, six months or eight months, I can't remember now the time. It's all it's all melding into one was my father uh, went to federal prison for 10 months on tax charges. And so that connection between me and my father in sports, coupled with the cultural and political aspects of the sports world, um, just ruptured something in me around sport and around the value Mm -hmm. of sport in my life Mm -hmm. it just ruptured it and it never returned Mm. (laughs) ever sadly well i did love the early the tiger woods era uh felt unique and special to me by the way having never really played golf and never been interested in golf but something about tiger woods uh, i found um inspiring the, 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 the hard work, the ethic, the a lot of the story anyway, but uh, yeah, but that, that team sport thing, which was a huge part of my childhood. And I did when I was a kid, I could tell you everybody's batting average who was, you know, everybody's everything. I knew all the stats. I knew everything about sport. And now literally I couldn't tell you I couldn't tell you the name of five quarterbacks who play in the NFL. Not five. I mean, I know who Tom Brady is because he's famous. And the guy who plays for the Kansas City Chiefs, I, I don't know his name, but he's good. Uh, but literally, that's all I know about modern football. Mm. Um, in baseball, I have no idea. Like for the Dodgers, who are the team I grew up with loving, yeah. until they let Steve Garvey go because they didn't want to give him one extra year at $333,000 in like 1982. Um, anyway, um, I couldn't tell you. I don't know who plays I, I I know one player that comes to mind, uh, Kershaw, the pitcher. Yeah, that's the only player that I know on the whole Dodger team. Yeah, I know nothing about sports. Okay, that's question number one. Yeah, well, uh, and you – Um,
1: I don't know if you remember this, but um, I mean, you got me into into basketball. Uh, well, mm-hmm. that's not exactly right. That that's not exactly right, and and this goes to my point. But I I developed an interest in basketball and i remember my sister Mm -hmm. asking me why 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 do you like basketball why are you bothering to learn about basketball and do you remember what my answer was
0: um i don't maybe something to do with our friendship i don't remember because kenny cares about it so i want to yeah that's i I want to learn
1: about the thing that he cares so much about i don't you know we're close friends. And I, that's not something I understand. And I want to, I want to learn about it. And so, and I did, and I think I ended up following the Lakers longer than you did, but not much longer. And I stopped following the Lakers for a similar reason. And that was the only sport I ever got into was basketball. Well, that's not true. Tennis. I loved watching tennis. You you like
0: that whole wrestling? Oh well, now uh, I do. Oh, that, 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 that
1: is true. Now I, I like to watch mixed yeah. martial arts. You're right.
0: Okay, um, I have two questions for you because in this scenario, I only asked you one two question. Two plus two equals four. I only asked you one question. I thought you asked me two. I ask you one. What was the first I, one?
1: I I only asked you one question. It was about sports. What? Happened? Damn it! What's the second well, one? I, I, the, the second one was if your father—if you could have one more question to ask <laughs> your father what would, is there, is there a question?
0: If you could have one more, is there one you would ask? No. I mean, that's a, maybe a sad answer, but no. I mean, it's not in, the, in the last why, seven why months, is a, why
1: is that a sad answer?
0: Well, you, I, I think you could, you could see it as sad. Uh, but anyway, I think the, I spent, the, as you know, I spent the last seven months living with my dying father, 24 seven and taking care of him. And I think everything I ever wanted to say to my father and some things I never thought, you know we would say and talk about we see, did i so, think that's see, yeah. i
1: think that's joyful i think that's that is that is joyful that's a beautiful joyful enjoyment. i don't
0: think that that's sad at all no i think culturally though you could see the idea of like well if somebody doesn't have anything else they'd want to know as sad cuz that feels like maybe you 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 know everything we'll, but you're right i i mean it wasn't sad to me i just think the idea of it is sad that's cultural as well but no my experience with my father was that yeah everything was sad Needed to be said, and I don't have any questions left. It's been eight years. Um, anyway, so okay, ask me the second question now. <laughs> <laughs> Timing. <laughs> okay, okay. So here, those are really thoughtful questions. I appreciate that. My questions are not not as thoughtful in the same way. I've a different went a different direction with my questions this mm-hmm. week. Which uh, is is what it is. Okay, so the first question is more of like a traditional question. I just because I'm curious about, I'm actually curious about mm-hmm. this, and that's why I ask because it's something I don't know. Uh, okay, so if you found out today that you had three days to live, what was the one thing that you would like to do? One thing you'd like to do that you've never done before. That's the way you're going. Never done before. You're going with it if you yeah, had three there. days to live, root. The three days to live. I like to think of it as two and a half days. So let's go with that. If you had two and a half days to live, what would be one the one thing? Three days, feels, you like too long, days feels like two days four hours to live.
1: Yeah. Uh, if you I had four and a half hours.
0: 56 hours. If you had whatever. Did you, did two and you half just days do to that live, math what, in your head? I made that oh. up. I actually wasn't oh, doing okay. math. I just made that up. But I appreciate that you always go to that and that you give me credit for that. Thank yeah. you. But so what What would be the one thing that you've never done? Not something you've done already, but you've never done. Is there something that you've never done that you would do before you died? Uh, does it matter if realistically
1: I am physically or, or in, other, in any other no. way capable of do, actually doing it?
0: No. This is, this is a dream. This is a fantasy. Question. It's a fantasy question. Wait, so you just asked me that question, but you didn't weren't actually thinking of something specific when you asked that yeah, specific before I, clarifying be- or qualifying it, no, question?
1: Before I start thinking about it, I want to know what the framework is for, my, <laughs> for thinking about it. Okay,
0: I appreciate that.
1: Okay, that's the framework. Go. O- okay, so yeah, I, I would like to go back in time.
0: Oh, that's a good one. Already, I'm I'm mesmerized. I would, I would I love, love to go
1: time. to uh, – well, see, this is just not even within the realm of reality. But if I could do it, I, I would – go. this is really kind of – I'm really kind of answering – the question I'm really
0: answering – Okay, can you stop qualifying the answer? answer just the answer. The question
1: I'm really answering is if you could go back in time to only – to two events in history, what would yeah. they be? That's fine.
0: This is okay. the, what you want to do. It speaks to All your values right. and what matters yeah. to you. I would
1: love to uh I would love to hear the Gettysburg Address. I think that would be just fucking amazing.
0: Where where would you be sitting? In the
1: somewhere in the somewhere in the <laughs> gallery. That'd be fantastic. I just want to get in and get out before I have to use a bathroom. That's that's <laughs>
0: That's a recurring theme in the L- locks and the bagel podcast is the public restroom <laughs> disdain for the public restroom. Yeah, I
1: would but I would love I'd love to do that. I would love to just make sure, you know,
0: pee, then go back in time to the grass, <laughs> the- <laughs> the- <laughs> <laughs> the- then get out and come back. That's <laughs> like your mother saying, make sure you bring a jacket. Yeah. Yeah, uh, go to the bathroom before you leave the house to go back in time. So, what was the question?
1: What, what three things would I? That was it. What Three things would I? No, do? No, no, one oh, thing. Well, one thing would no, I? do? No, not three right? things. One. I thing think. That only... was it.
0: That's a good one. Okay, I like that right. one, the Gettysburg Address. Right. Okay, now this is this. Now the second question is again like a hedonistic question because because in our history. Food has played such a big part in our experience. Oh, I'm so glad out, that you just said that famous experience. Because as you were talking
1: Fine. earlier, I thought of another really possibly good good segment to the show. Which, like we could just call it like, and the portions are so small, where we're just like we just talk about like a, a great meal or a great food or just some food related thing. We don't have to talk about it now, but but I, but I like <laughs> but, I, but I like I like a uh-huh. segment that's just called and the portions are so small.
0: I like it. And the ports are so small. That's what what, I wanted to say on my tombstone. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah. And let's use tombstone as a transition. Wow. That was said last week. I don't know how we keep coming back to the tombstone idea, but it's again, another theme we're developing here, tombstones, by the way, and we will at some point talk about the fact that Joshua and asked a group of his friends, and I was included, to build the coffin that his mother was buried in, which is really fascinating on so many levels and really emotional and interesting. But we'll talk about that another time. I just want to tease that out there because I'm of tombstone, but there is a context for the meaning of the tombstone in our mm-hmm. world. Um, anyway, so here's the okay. question. Huh. Let's use that as a tra- tombstone as a transition to this second of the four questions okay. from my side. Tell me about the best single bite of food That you have ever had one bite that stays with you that gave you that umami feeling umami often translated as pleasant and savory taste but in this context i wanted to translate the best
1: bite of food might not have been umami
0: it might have been sweet listen to me i wanted this you didn't let me finish i was in the middle of clarifying when you jumped in so umami is often translated as pleasant savory taste I want it in for the context of this question to translate it as the most amazing taste. All right? So I was taking out the savory. I just want it to be the bite that stays with you in your mouth to this day, whether it was last week or 35 years ago. Big question from a food and hedonistic point of view. Oh, that is a big question.
1: And I know I know you you want something to just leap out at me. And I don't, nothing leaps out at me. That's the single, I'm, the single, I'm surprised. But I know you are. That's why I'm,
0: I'm surprised. I surprised. Aren't you surprised I, yes. that you have nothing, that nothing. I'm completely. I'm completely... <laughs> are you
1: disappointed in your mind? I am. I'm disappointed that I don't, yeah. I it's mean, bad. I have some great food stories that, you know, but n- none that were like, yeah, this is not, a I understand. Story. You see I'm tier? saying,
0: look at me, it. look at me. Can yeah. you see the yes. tear going down the side of my I, face? I can, tier. I can see it. I'm so sad. I can see it. It's like that Native American ad from the '70s yeah. where the guy's crying because of iron eyes.
1: That was old iron eyes, wasn't it? Or am I making that up? I, I don't. I, I have no idea. Iron eyes. Nothing comes
0: to mind. If the, you don't answer this question, I'm be- going to have to answer it for you. The single best
1: bite of food I ever had. You know, I the, do. I do. Well, well I do remember. I do remember being in Tuscany at, at a restaurant. Um, uh, I was probably 28. 28 uh, and.
0: Um, I'm doing the Ed, I'm doing the
1: Ed's command <laughs> thing where I just repeat <laughs> And it was <laughs> truffle season and truffle season. And it was, it was, uh, <laughs> it was just this very, very simple pasta. It was out in the country. It was a country mm-hmm. restaurant and, uh, like, uh, Lovely. yeah. And it was such a simple pasta, fresh homemade pasta. It was incredible. And, uh, it was, uh, just pasta that's that s- prepared so simply with the, with, with truffles, with just incredible ingredients, and it was one of the times when it really solidified for me this idea that you, the a few incredible ingredients are all you need to, to make a, a a great. And bite what were food. the
0: ingredients? I remember, what was in it? Well, it,
1: it was uh, it was pasta, and I think uh, m- mushroom and truffle, and probably mm-hmm. some butter and would you would you recall a porcini mushroom
0: an italian porcini perhaps it might have been I yeah
1: it might have been it might have been porcini it might have been porcini it was it was just so good
0: so in your mind that 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 kind of simple and and also i mean let's let's be honest the context of that scene right is also contributes to that feeling mm-hmm. sure the countryside in italy mm-hmm. fuck in yeah. italy right
1: yeah, absolutely yeah. oh and then i'm sure there was just some incredible red cow uh, parmesan or something like that you know just amazing
0: oh that's funny i thought you were going to say i'm sure there was some incredible red cow out in the <laughs> distance no. as if some part of uh, it's known for their red cows This is something i've never heard of or maybe you the mushrooms were were psychedelics instead of porcini yeah, and so you were seeing red cows that would also right. create that's a great that's a great question though
1: and i i i wish that i had a a better answer. I mean, I mean, I don't think that was a bad answer, but I, I wish I had.
0: No, no, it was a good, it's an excellent answer. I'm going to give a bonus answer. Cause I just feel like it's necessary. If you don't Go mind, ahead. do you I'm... mind? And, Cause the bonus answer relates to a meal we had on our 21st birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, we went, we had a week long celebration of our 21st birthday, went to one, up in Northern California. That was the Northern California dinner. In addition to other things, I don't want to talk about this whole thing. I want to talk about it another time, but and then in, in Los Angeles we had dinner. At a restaurant in 1986, which was known as the best French restaurant in the west of the Mississippi in oh, America, egg, called Laurent Coddled Eggs
1: and Caviar.
0: That's the Coddled Eggs and Caviar. That's, that's what I'm a remembering. Pretty great bite. That I, I had never tasted anything like that in my life. Yeah. I, again, I didn't grow up in, with as much of the fine, fancy foods as you did. I grew up with some of that, mostly because of you and your father, by the way, taking me to places. But that bite of food, which which is served in an eggshell on a little stand. And, it's, and they take the eggs out, right? It, tell me if I get this right after I finish. They scramble them up with some caviar and some other like perfect flavor and they put it back in the shell and then basically what you have is one or two spoon bites of this, what they, what was called coddled eggs and caviar. And my memory of it, even to this day, this is the memory, yeah. is just this orgasmic sense of of wonder. It was magic, it was incredible, yeah um all right well that's um yeah, i love those are great that's, questions that's gonna yeah. oh my god that makes me long for a time when when restaurants were open well, and, <laughs> and you could eat and in I, them i am
1: now uh i'm now going to what's oh wow look at that so i'm now gonna go oh, wow. make
0: some uh homemade pasta oh that sounds like a great dinner and i am going to have um a uh some pretzel. Toast. So that's very similar in terms of what we eat for dinner. Now I might even, I might, I might even look for some kind of dip for the pretzel. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to get you too excited. There might be a dip. Involved. And and we all know how much I love dipping. Yeah. Uh, I think I like dipping as a, as an action of, of meal engagement more than almost anything. Else. Yeah. Dipping. I, do, I know dipping. you love dipping. Yeah. And, and drizzling, yeah. I like to drizzle yeah. things and dip things yeah. because the drizzle and dip. Ooh, that could be a di- title for the uh "What Makes Me Crazy" "What Brings Me Joy" segment. The drizzle in the dip. <laughs> you know, that 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 doesn't sound right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the fuck that is, but I, it's just like the drizzle. That and sounds dip. like we have to come up. Not, with it, a, it does sound
1: the, like something like two old Jews would be doing. <laughs> 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 like, the drizzle and the dip. <laughs> I, Hey, in, the hey, mid- hey. in the middle of the night,
0: but I hate uh, Oh middle my age. God. To dip. Oi. Hey. Anyway, all right, Joshua. It was lovely speaking you with too. you this week. I will speak Let's later. do it again next week. Let's do it next week. Here on what's the name of the podcast? Locks in the Bagel. Locks and the Bagel. Next week on Locks and the Bagel. A lot more drizzling and <laughs> dipping you can expect. Look out for that, folks. Drizzling and dipping and tombstones. <laughs> I think we've I think we've uh, come up with our themes now. We have drizzling and dipping, and tombstones. I think this is this is you know what? We, we, if we start
1: a law firm, and we should just call it
0: co- coddling. Dipping.
1: No, coddling,
0: drizzling, and dipping. I like coddle, I like drizzle, dip, and tombstone. I think that sounds like a good name. drizzle, dip. I'm doing the picking up God the phone gesture now and the, from drizzling. the okay. yeah. Drizzle Dip and Tombstone, can I help you? How, how may I direct your call? Drizzle Dip and Tombstone, how may I direct your call? No, I, I'll All right. see you next week. You've been listening to Locks and the Bagel, a production of Kenjamin Media, a curated series of conversations about things that matter. For more information about our podcast, go to KenjaminMedia.com. Hey, if you enjoyed the show today, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for a Joshua Beckett. I'm Kenny Benjamin. Thank you again so much for listening to Locks in the Bagel, and we'll see you next week.